Before we start the podcast, please show us some love by rating and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, if you're listening from there. You can also tell your friends about Sincerely Human. Help us spread stories of inspiring and kind humans who are doing good in the world. Thanks. Now on to this week's episode. The world today is home to the largest population of young people in history, with half of the world's population under the age of 30. My hope is that anyone, anywhere, can stand for what they believe in and put their compassion into action, just like me. When there isn't a seat at the table for you to pull up a chair, then stand on it and use a megaphone until they give you that spot at the table. What do you remember about being a kid? If you're a late 80s or 90s kid like me, chances are you had the time of your life playing outside with your neighbors. Of course, back then we had no cell phones or laptops, but that didn't really matter. We had as much fun riding our bikes around the block as we did playing hide and seek with friends. When it comes to games, we made up our own rules. And the coolest part, our imaginations ran wild. We could be anyone, we could be anything. But if you're part of the younger generation, the idea that you can live a full, happy life, long enough to see your own children grow, seems to slip away, day by day. And that's why we see teen activists holding the megaphone, marching, and leading the fight against climate change. They're crying for us to save their future. Youth activists are the loudest voices in the room, and rightfully so. That's Jessica Cohen. They have to inherit our choices. And our choices have created a very real threat to their ability to grow and have happy, healthy lives. We have handed them a situation that they will have to deal with. And we have handed them a mess that they will have to clean up, except as a kid, you can't clean it up right now. So you have to get adults' attention. And the fact that we have, what, 1.6 million students marching on a given day around the world about climate change is huge. That is not to be ignored. We're talking about an entire generation of young people who are dead serious about everyone else waking up and doing something. We owe that to them. We do. We owe our children their future. This is the story of Jessica Cohen, Editor-in-Chief and Senior Vice President at Mashable, a partner of the Social Good Summit. This is Camille. And this is Maverick. And this is Sincerely Human, a podcast that tells stories of kindness in action from the lens of today's most inspiring humans. I'm from the suburbs of Detroit, and I grew up with your classically American 80s childhood. Jessica was an only child. My parents were very supportive of my success and invested a lot into my education and making sure that I was disciplined with my studies. And what's interesting about growing up without siblings is the emphasis it created for me on connecting with other people. 
and having a social life in high school, not necessarily like the popular kids, but connecting, having people at my house all the time, taking other friends and kids on vacation with us, etc. Building a community of my own, so to speak, in the absence of having one in the house formally. Jessica went to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. She studied English. Towards the end of college, I think my senior year, I took an English seminar that was focused on actually getting out into the community. And we went to an elementary school in Ann Arbor, and we worked with grade school children on poetry. It's called The Poetry of Everyday Life. And I ended up being paired with a young woman who had some learning disabilities, and she had an assistant who worked with her full-time. And with each successive visit, I started spending more and more one-on-one time with mm-hmm. this young woman, and it was incredible. Like I found it was really, really rewarding. I hadn't spent a ton of time with younger children at that point in my life, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Because of this experience, Jessica joined Teach for America and taught high school English in South L.A., Taking the time to speak with them and hear their thoughts and tell them about the larger world and find a way for them to connect with what's going on around them outside of their community, that was really rewarding. Being in L.A., Jessica eventually wound up as an assistant at a Hollywood studio. I was fetching omelets and lattes from the commissary. It was uh, interesting. (laughs) It was an interesting environment, but you're in LA and whether or not you grow up with any designs or dreams of being involved with the Hollywood system, once you're in LA, it's everywhere. But while I was at that job, there was a lot of downtime. You know, after pilot season, things would always calm down and get very quiet. So I was clicking around on the internet. I was very deep into reading what was going on online. And this was 2003 and blogs were just starting to become a thing really, really early. It was Blogspot. I'm pretty sure WordPress wasn't even around yet at that point. There were other websites that exist to this day that were just tiny little things at the time. And reading the cultural commentary and news commentary and news reporting on these sites reminded me that I loved journalism. I kind of lost my way in that regard. So she tried to find her way back. Jessica flew to New York to go to journalism school in Columbia. But that didn't really go as planned. I also started writing online on my own personal little hobby blog. And through that, I connected with a publisher in New York. And they had heard that I was planning to go to Columbia. And they offered me a job instead. And I had to decide, do I want to go to Columbia? I'd already put down my deposit. Or do I want to take this crazy media job out of the gate? From that point on, you could say Jessica has had a rich and interesting experience in media. After working as editor-in-chief at Gawker for two years, she took a job as deputy online editor at Vanity Fair. And Vanity Fair was my dream job. I grew up reading this magazine every single month. Parents were subscribers. I loved it. I idolized Craig Carter. The whole thing was just a dream come true. From there, she worked in a string of media brands like The New York Magazine, Jezebel, and Vocative. In late 2016, Mashable had just gone through a period of transition and they were looking for new leadership in the newsroom. And I was recruited to come run that operation. And I really loved the idea of going to a site that was as much as you could have a legacy website in such a new medium compared to, you know, newspapers. I wanted to go to a legacy site. I felt that I had been working at all different kinds of brands and this felt broad, but at least 
focused enough on the things I was personally energetic about, which would be tech and just culture and entertainment and obsessive fandom, etc., and social good. And it seemed like a tremendous opportunity, and I couldn't say no. And one tremendous opportunity she got involved with at Mashable is the Social Good Summit. If you recall from our previous episode with Asha Curran, CEO of Giving Tuesday, we talked a little bit about the Social Good Summit. We started just a series of experiments. We started the Social Good Summit. We started that in partnership with the UN Foundation and Mashable. This is actually going to be its 10th year. 10 years ago, Mashable, the UN Foundation, 92nd Street Y, and the United Nations Development Program teamed up to launch a new kind of summit. It's an annual event in New York that celebrates activism and where people from all over the world are inspired to take action. In the summit's 10th year, global leaders, celebrities, and activists will tackle the most urgent issue of our time, climate change. For the past 10 years, the Social Good Summit has been largely about global progress. And we define global progress against the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which we also refer to as the Global Goals. And those goals include poverty, zero hunger, health, education, clean energy, infrastructure, etc. And we've always taken the perspective that innovation is the way forward. So a lot of the focus of the prior summits have been about the role of innovation against these goals and how innovation can really move the needle and exploring solutions through innovation. The 2019 summit will be held on Sunday, September 22nd at the 92nd Street Y in New York. Because the need to address climate change is so palpable, this is the first year the event will have a singular focus. Jessica says it's really the greatest existential crisis of our time. It's the future of humanity, and it sounds so over the top to use language like that, but it's actually true. And if we are in a place to gather global thought leaders and activists and change makers and experts and policymakers in a room for a single day, which is what we get to do at the summit, if we're in the position to do that, I think it's time to buckle down and focus on really the one thing that is affecting our lives in the most dramatic way possible. If you've been following the news recently, you might have come across a young Swedish activist named Greta Thunberg. And you might have seen her speaking her mind and admonishing adults for the state of our planet. My name is Greta Thunberg. I am 15 years old, but I've learned that you are never too small to make a difference. Her movement, called Fridays for Future, has inspired young activists in about a hundred cities to protest the lack of action on the climate crisis. She and many other remarkable humans will speak at this year's Social Good Summit. We have uh, celebrities, we have former heads of state, we have you know, scientists, we have uh, meteorologists, folks from NASA, and we also have Greta Thunberg and Alexandra Villasenor, who I am particularly excited about. Scientists have sounded the alarm for a long time, but these two young women are part of a movement that has made that alarm deafening and unignorable. So to have them at the summit is really exciting. To get to New York, Greta sailed across the Atlantic on a carbon-free sailboat for 15 days. She doesn't fly because of high gas emissions caused by airplanes. Adults are the ones who are making the decisions. We, the collective we, have put the planet 
in the position it's in, and as our parents and their parents, etc. It's difficult, I think, as adults to wrap our head around what's going to happen when we know that we might not necessarily be here for it. We're not wired for it. Empathy is short-sighted in a lot of ways. It exists, but the limits of it and the focus often doesn't go too much farther than what we can imagine in you know the next couple of years. But for the next generation, for the people in their early 20s, these teen activists, this is brutally real. In 2018, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, released a report essentially warning all of us that we only have 12 years to stop the irreversible damage of climate change. And I can wrap my head around 12 years from now, the weather getting worse. What I can't wrap my head around is 50 years from now. And I can't wrap my head around that because 50 years from now is probably going to be my twilight years. I might not be able to go outside at all at that point, (laughs) let's be honest. But kids, teens, 50 years from now, they're going to be in the prime of their life. And it's very easy for them to imagine how a deteriorating world is going to affect their ability to live and achieve dreams that we have laid out for them. The gift of imagination, the right to live their lives to the fullest, is something that we, collectively, as grown-ups, have stolen from them. Today, it doesn't matter if you're still confused or even indifferent about climate change. There is still time, but we have to act now. The energy of youth is, historically speaking, that which powers real change. And kids, teens, younger activists, they have that energy. They haven't had decades of disappointment that we might have as adults. They haven't hit a million walls over their lives. They're young. They have everything ahead of them. And the idea of having something ahead of them that isn't fair, that isn't tenable, that isn't survivable, that's really emotional. That's emotional for them, and it's emotional for us if we want to think about what we are leaving as our legacy. So then the question is, what legacy do you want to leave behind? I think we all have our different passions and causes that we care about, but no matter where you choose to devote that energy, your starting point should be a place of empathy. Empathy is everything, and I've used empathy to guide most of my choices in everyday life and big-picture decisions. I think that without empathy, we are lost as a society. If we can't relate to one another, even the most wildly different people, we will never have dialogues with one another. Even if you can't necessarily understand a person, taking a second to understand where they might be coming from just a little bit, It's almost passive activism in a way, but that passive activism, that internal thinking, it will manifest itself. If not that moment, then eventually in how you interact with the world around you. If you want to buy tickets for the Social Good Summit happening on September 22nd, please head on over to mashable.com SGS. If you can't make it to the summit in person, the event will also be live-streamed. Just go to mashable.com SGS dash live You can find the links in our show notes. Hold up. 
that's it for today's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Also, this is just part one of our Social Good Summit special. Part two is coming out later this week, so stay tuned. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. Keep following us on Instagram at SincerelyHuman for news and updates on the show. Thanks, guys. Remember, be good to one another 